So today, I have the privilege of, of being here with you as we're continuing our trekking through the book of Joshua. And we're continuing moving through this series called The New Norm or The New Normal. As the world around us, church, is continuing to change, really it's continuing to change by the hour. We would look at how far Taps brought up a good point. Things are continually just becoming more and more bizarre. But isn't it awesome that as the world continues to change, that God's promises his truths from his word, these things do not change. They're what we call our constant. And one of the things, one of my prayers today is that we would remember that even in the midst of the new norm, whatever new norm we face, whatever new scenery, whatever new season that we are in as Christ's followers, that we would remember that God does, in fact, make a way for his people. God makes a way for his people. So today, we're going to have fun, church. We're going to be unpacking Joshua chapter 3. This is where the story just continues to heat up. This is an exciting portion. Pastor Rod has been trucking us through chapter 2 about the story about these two spies that have gone in to spy out the land of Jericho. And this is going to be, I want to provide some context so we can get up to speed with what we're going to be unpacking today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open those up. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version, but the scriptures will be posted to my left, or your right, and then my left. I'm all confused. But we're going to be going through the scriptures together. We have the privilege of standing or seating or, or sitting and reading God's word together. So if you don't mind, if you're able to stand, stand. If you prefer to sit, by all means sit. But we're going to read God's word together. I'm going to be reading the odd verses. If you can then follow along with the even verses. And I'm going to start again in verse 1. We will finish at verse 6. And then we will provide, um, again, a background of what has led us up to this point in our passage. So verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel. And they lodged there before they crossed over. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Okay, so what's brought us up to this point today? So Joshua, the great military leader appointed by God to lead the nation of Israel from the east side of the Jordan River to the west side of Jordan River into the promised land, is now received the report from the two spies from the land of Jericho. The spies returned with this exciting report. They said, Joshua... The people of Jericho are absolutely terrified. They are out of their wits. And the inhabitants of the country are actually faint-hearted because they know we're here. But it wasn't just about the people. Rahab makes a very clear, from the text in chapter 2, makes a very clear statement when she's telling Joshua or the spies why the people are so terrified. She says, we know about your God. We know about the God that you serve. Your God is the one who dried up the, the Red Sea as the nation of Israel was running from the Egyptians out of the land of Egypt. We've heard about your God. 
We heard how your God gave the victory over the two powerful kings, the Amorite kings on the east side of the Jordan River. We've heard about your God, and the people are absolutely terrified. Isn't that awesome? They heard about how the Israelites went in, and again, these former Hebrew slaves, they were not trained militiamen, they were not Navy SEALs, they were not Rambos or Commandos. Church, these were, these were uh, former Hebrew slaves. And now, now Joshua, he's readying the people. He's getting people ready for what God had called them to enter into and for what God had called them to claim as their inheritance. And now the moment they've all been waiting for, now it's time to move. Now it's time to mobilize the people. And this is something they've been waiting for ever since their exodus from the nation of Egypt. And who would be making this journey across the Jordan River? Numbers chapter 14, verse 31. I'm going to be going back and forth there because there's a lot of important points from our text from Numbers that build important context. Numbers 14, verse 31 states that it was this new generation. It was the second generation that followed that would be... um, that initially left Egypt, they would be the ones to inherit the promised land. So what happened? What happened to the first generation? What happened to these Israelites? Well, the Bible says specifically that they died in the wilderness. What happened? Well, something took place 40 years previously. Under Moses' leadership, this first generation of of Israelite exiles, they came this close. They were right there. They were so close to entering into what God had called them to enter into. Moses had even sent 12 spies into the land to go scope out and assess the land of Canaan, the region of Canaan. But there was an issue. There were giants in the land. The Bible tells us that the spies, the 10 spies, came back with a bad report. It invoked fear and intimidation in the hearts of the people. But there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who reminded the people that this is our territory to take. God had given us this territory. Don't back down. Don't be afraid. Don't let your rebellion prevent you from entering into what God has called you to enter into. Guys, let's go. Let's go take the land. Numbers chapter 14, verse 3, gives us the response of the people, the response of the nation of Israel. They responded this way. They said, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be victims of the giants? Wouldn't it be better for us just to go back to Egypt? Let's get, let's get some new leaders. Let's have the people, let's have them lead us back to Egypt. But there were two men, Joshua and Caleb, who again stirred up the people. But something happens here the people, do you think they listened? Do you think that they heard the words of Joshua and Caleb and they said, you know what? Let's go take what God has promised us in the west side of the Jordan, the promised land. The Bible says they did not listen. In fact, they even became violent towards Joshua and Caleb and attempted to stone them. Numbers chapter 14, verse 25 gives gives us the response of the Lord. The Lord says, Moses, I hear what my people are saying. There's disbelief. There's stubbornness. 
The people don't believe, again, that they're going to take, and I'm going to provide a way for them to take the land that I've called them to inherit. And the Lord says, Moses, take them back. Take them back into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. A 40-year detour. A 40-year period of correction. But 40 years have gone by, and here they are again. A new generation, a new leader, but the same promise from the same God. And here they are, and this, is, this picks us up with our story today. I have main points that I want us to, we're going to be moving through this passage, but five points that I want us to, to highlight as we move through our scriptures today. The first is that there's spiritual battles that would precede the physical crossing of the Jordan River. The second is how the nation of Israel was brought to the shoreline of the Jordan River and how the Lord will bring us at times in our lives, at seasons, to the shoreline of the Jordan River, a place we're required to wait, to watch, to listen, and to be still. How God will go before his people, keeping a strong vantage point upon the Lord and what it means to sanctify ourselves apart unto God. Let's pick it up now. We're in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read the scripture, and then we'll start having fun. We'll begin unpacking it, talking about application, and it's going to be a good morning. So Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from the Acacia Grove, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. Notice this point. Joshua doesn't wait. He doesn't procrastinate. He mobilizes the people. He gets the people ready. He gets the people readied for what God had called them into. He gathers the people after he receives the report back from the two spies. And the Bible says that they depart from this place called the Acacia Grove. Some of your translations call this place Shittim. This place they traveled from, the Acacia Grove, highlights an important portion of text and brings to light an important point. This place, the Acacia Grove, Joshua had been here before. Approximately 40 years prior, he had been here in this very place. He could have had flashbacks of what happened. This was the staging ground for the first generation of Israelites before they were to cross the Jordan River. But something horrific happened. Something bad happened in this place. Numbers 25 verse 1 through 5 says that what happened is while they were encamped, the beautiful, attractive women of Moab came into and around the camp of the Israelites. Satan used the temptation of the beautiful woman in order to trip up, in order to derail the focus of the children of Israel. He used the Moabite women. Many of the men in the Israelite camp joined themselves um, join themselves and have sexual relationships with the Moabite women. It doesn't end there. The Bible says that they begin offering sacrifices to their pagan god, Baal, and even consuming the meat from the offering to the pagan god, Baal. God, in his righteous judgment, there had been a breach of the contract, a breach in the covenant between Almighty God and the nation of Israel. God executes his righteous judgment upon a sinful nation. Those who were involved in leading the people, there were leaders involved that were proponents of the pagan worship. There were leaders and also people that joined themselves to Baal. 
And the Lord executes judgment in saying those people are to be separated from the camp. They were executed. Leaders were executed. Those participating in pagan worship were executed. And the Bible says that 24,000 Israelites died of the plague. Wow. Definitely a dark spot in the history of Israel. On the staging ground, right there, they could see it with their two eyes where they were to cross, but something happened in this place. Think about this, this uh, for us today as a body. Joshua would have remembered what happened in that place. The children of those parents that were executed would have remembered what happened in that place. And it's important that we don't overlook this fact. Satan will do whatever he can to shift our focus, to derail our focus, to do whatever we can, whatever he can, in order to prevent us from entering into what God has called us to enter into, his purpose or his will for our lives. The playbook hasn't changed much, has it? He used it amongst his people. He used it, I'm sorry, amongst the Israelites. And think about how Satan runs his plays today. He runs them fervently. And this is the point that there were, physical, there were spiritual battles that would take place before the physical battles would ensue. The spiritual battles preceded the physical battles that would come. And just like the children of Israel then, Satan will do whatever he can to slow us down. I think about the spiritual battleground that we are on today, that we are in today. We see what's happening in homes of our family members We see what's happening in the state of California. We see what's happening in in our school systems. And I would say this, and I believe it's an accurate statement, that what's happened is California very well could be a spiritual battlefield, a hot pocket, if you would, an epicenter, if you would, of the spiritual battlefield in America. The war, church, is real. The things that we cannot see inspired by Satan, but they manifest themselves in ways that we can visually see by what's happening around us. You think about the spiritual battlefield today. The gloves are off. No one's holding any punches. And this is what I want to encourage us with as the body of Christ today. It's this. What an honor it is that we can be here today in the great state of California For such a time as this, as disciples of Christ Jesus. There's work to do, church. But it's also important that we remember this. We're called, like Joshua, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So what are we to do? How are we to take up arms in the spiritual battles that ensue? The spiritual battles that are plaguing um, our family members? We look at addiction, we look at broken homes, we look at the things where Satan seems to be having a heyday. Well, the Bible makes it very clear. Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he gives instruction and says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor, not a piece, not a portion, not just your shield. Put on the whole armor of God, Uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts 
of the wickedness in heavenly places, the things, church, that we cannot see. This is how we are called to enter into the spiritual battlefield. Satan will do whatever he can to derail us. But praise God that we are also called to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We'll continue in Joshua chapter 3, verse 2 through 4. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you you shall set set out from your place and go after it. Think about the emotions. Let me pause there. Think about the emotions that are stirring up within the people right now. Butterflies, excitement. What's going to happen? What's going to go down? This is our time. This is the time that God has called us, is calling us to move and to mobilize. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. That's half a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Significant point. God stages the children of Israel in front of a massive, rushing, swollen body of water for a time period where they were required to sit, to watch, to wait, and to listen before they were to move. Picture us there right now, sitting on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, banks overflowing, slapping the sides of the riverbank, because that time of year, the river would have been overflowing because of the harvest season. Our babies are with us. Our belongings are with us. Everything that we have is with us. And all we're doing is we're sitting, we're waiting, we're watching, looking at this massive 100-foot-plus body of water that's roaring like a rapid. What thoughts would be going through our minds? What thoughts were going through the minds of the children of Israel at that point in time? Could it have been, how is the Lord going to bring us from here to there? How is the Lord going to bring us from this place through to that area? I don't see it. I don't understand it. But this is where we're called to wait. There's times in our lives as followers of Jesus where what happens is we're required to wait to watch, to listen, to be still by the bank of the Jordan River, a place that isn't always fun, a place that could be marked with anxiety, fear, intimidation, uncertainty about what's going to take place next. But the beautiful thing is this, there's something that we are required to do in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the watching, in the midst of the listening, in the midst of being still, and it's this. Will we trust that the Lord will, in fact, make a way as he goes before us? Do we trust that? Do we really, at the the heart of the issue, do we trust that? Have you been there before? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you look back at your life and you see when you're sitting by the bank of the Jordan River, the staging ground, a scary place, you can hear the intimidating waters roaring by, And you think, how is the Lord going to bring us through this? How is the Lord going to bring our family through this situation, this dark season? How is the Lord going to bring our marriage through this? How is the Lord going to bring us as a family through this illness, this sickness that we're going through? How is the Lord going to bring our family member through this addiction? How, How is this all going to look? We can look at the scripture 
And the Lord didn't say to Joshua how he would bring them across. He didn't say, Joshua, let's get life rafts ready. Get the people ready to roll. Let's get the water polo players to egg beater across this 100-foot body of water, right? Let's get the Duffy boat and get everyone loaded and we'll just do shifts. The Lord didn't say specifically how he would get the people across. He told Joshua, he says, Joshua, arise and go and take these people with you. Wow. So something had to take place miraculously before the children of Israel could physically cross and it had to be a miracle performed by God. And God would be the one to make a way. Like Joshua and the children of Israel, we should also trust and hold fast to the promises of God that he will, in fact, make a way when we're sitting on the bank of the Jordan and we cannot see it. We cannot figure it out. And our role in our response in that whole situation is this. Will we trust? Will we be obedient? And will we move when God calls us to move? Will we do that? Verse 3 tells us that the officers are now readying the people. They're, they're getting the people ready. They're getting the people fired up. They're rallying the people. They're saying, guys, get up. We're making preparations to cross the Jordan River. And then something even more peculiar happens. The Bible says that the Levitical priests are going to be the ones to lead the crossing procession. Why not the commandos of the Israeli army? Why not the Navy SEALs of the Israeli army? Why not the Rambos of the Israeli army? This is why. God was the one who would go before his people. And the people were to follow his lead. They were to, they were to follow, but they were to follow at a distance, a half a mile distance. And the Ark of the Covenant is significant because it points to the presence of a holy God in the midst of his people. God would go before his people. I want to stop the story there for a moment. And I want to reflect on a passage out of Exodus chapter 32 and Exodus chapter 33, because this ties in and supports this point that we're talking about right now. In Exodus chapter 32 and 33, we read about Moses on this mountaintop experience where he's in the presence of the Lord for a 40-day period. He's communing with the Lord. He's getting instruction from the Lord regarding this, these commandments and regarding the covenant. And then what happens is Moses is then with two tablets of stone after a 40-day period, a high mountaintop retreat with the Lord, a beautiful thing. He's headed down the mountain with two tablets of stone. And then at the bottom, towards as he's on his descent, he meets his young protege, Joshua, the same Joshua from our story. They're approaching the Israeli camp and they hear a loud commotion. Joshua says, Moses, do you hear that? Is that, is that a battle cry? Is there a, is there a battle cry in the camp? Joshua's alarmed and Moses already knew what had happened. Moses says, no. That's singing. They walk into the camp and they see the nation of Israel worshiping the golden calf. Moses was gone for a time period and the people had fallen apart. Aaron blew it. We know the whole story. But the thing about it is this. After this whole debacle goes down, the Lord in his grace and in his mercy says, Moses, I want you to depart from this place and I'm going to send my angel before you. I'm going to send my angel before you to drive out the inhabitants in the promised land. Exodus 33 verse 5 is more specific to why the Lord said he was going to use an angel to lead out the inhabitants. 
For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. Ouch. But true. I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. How do you think Moses responds to this? The Bible tells us, Exodus 33, verse 15, Moses responds and says, Lord, if your presence does not go before, before us, we're going to stay right here. We would rather stay right here. If you're not going to lead us and your presence is not going to go before us, we're more comfortable, we're more confident staying parked in this very spot. When you see the heart of Moses, that's the heart, that attribute is an attribute that I want to carry. Lord, if you're not leading our family this place, we don't want to go there. Lord, if you're not leading the ministry, your ministry, not my ministry, but if you're not leading your ministry there, we don't want to go there. Lord, if you're not leading us there, we do not want to go. Remember, Moses has been in the presence of the Lord for a 40-day period, talking to the Lord, communing with the Lord. And God, in fact, in our story, as we point out, does go before his people. The Lord said that, I will do this thing, Moses. You have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Wow. And the second point is this, keeping a strong vantage point. Verse 4 tells us that half a mile distance was to be respected from the Ark of the Covenant to the people that were following the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible tells us why. The Bible says that they were to keep a space in order to be able to watch where the Ark of the Covenant was going because they had never been that way before. But God in his awesomeness knew that all those people following the Ark of the Covenant would have a front row ticket to watch what was going to go down as the Jordan of River, uh, the, the, the Jordan River and the water flow would completely stop. He knew that they would have a front row ticket. As the Lord led them into a foreign place, they reminded, keep your distance. So think about how this applies to us today as Christ followers. There's white noise all around us. There's distractions that are competing priorities and they're aggressively competing for our time. There's things all over the place. How are we to keep a strong vantage point upon the Lord? And it's very simple, church. We have the ability to open God's word at any point in time throughout our day. And when we do that, what happens is we gain a deeper, broader, stronger vantage point upon the person of Jesus Christ. When you look at the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it all points to this to Jesus Christ in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It all points to that. So when in our morning time, in our afternoons, our evenings, we have the ability to do that at any point in time and to keep a strong vantage point. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, we'll continue on. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people, So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. So as the people are being ready, there's this specific instruction given. And the instruction is this. Joshua says to the people, sanctify yourselves. An important step that was to be taken before the people physically went in to inherit the promised land. And to sanctify oneself, what does that mean? Some of your translations read, consecrate yourselves. 
It means to set oneself apart from anything unholy, anything unclean, anything deemed as common. The physical act would look like this. I would go down to the river, I'd find a body of water, and I would wash myself. I would put on a fresh pair of clothes, and it represented this, starting fresh, starting anew. This is a priority that Joshua, instructed by God, gives the people because there were physical battles that would ensue. There were spiritual battles that would take place. There was territory to take. But before all of this could go down, all of this was to take place, he stresses the importance of this process of sanctifying themselves. And this is why also. It was because the people were to set themselves apart unto God for a special and holy purpose, as they were the people of God. Think about this application for us also today as Christ followers. We are the bride of Christ. How important is is it for us also to sanctify ourselves, to separate ourselves from anything unclean, anything unholy, anything deemed as common? Asking the Lord to search the valleys of our hearts When you guys think about how exciting this is and how important this point is, asking the Lord to examine our hearts, and this may sound crazy, but this is the truth, and that we can give thanks when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That may hurt a little bit. When I I heard that, it stung. But what a blessing that is, guys. That God's Spirit lives within us. We are sealed with God's Holy Spirit, and that when we are convicted that we can say, Lord, I repent, I confess of that sin, and I ask for forgiveness from that sin. That was achieved through what happened at the cross. And that was achieved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you think about how important that is, church, one of the scriptures that goes with this is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It reads, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last part of verse 6, this is the last part of the commandment before the people would begin moving towards the banks of the Jordan. Joshua gives the last commandment. He says, take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and they went before the people. Think about this for a moment. What level of faith would that have taken to get the Ark of the Covenant up on the poles, on the shoulders of the Levites, and saying, guys, start walking toward the Jordan. What level of faith would that have taken? They're carrying the the Ark of the Covenant, which which is a symbol of the presence of God. The Levites, the high priests, they're leading the procession. What level of faith would that have taken? Remember the words spoken to Joshua, and Joshua was obedient. When the Lord told him, arise, Joshua, and take up these, take up the Ark of the Covenant and lead these people across the Jordan. The priests took up the Ark of the Covenant. They headed to the bank of the Jordan River as the Israelites follow. Joshua remembered the promises of God. He remembered what was spoken to him previously. And isn't that a beautiful thing and an encouragement for you and for me today that we can also remember the promises of of God, I want to invite the worship band up as we get ready to close. And I want, to, I want to close off with this portion of scripture. This is from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. So what happened is a, 
I believe it was last year, the year before, there was an Ironwood trip. Danny Ray was there. Justin Saunders was there. A few others were there. Pastor Rod was there. And then what happened is there was this, um, this meeting about what is the anthem? What is the theme scripture for the church, sanctuary church for this year? We were told to go into separate places and to uh, pray, to seek the Lord on what passage, what scripture would be our, our, our anthem, our theme for, for sanctuary church for that year. I remember it gave me goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps now talking about it because we all come back after about an hour, hour and a half, and we're sitting there with our Bibles. People have written notes. And person after person after person after person, it was almost a majority vote. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And this is the scripture. Have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Church, whatever new norm we may find ourselves within, whatever new situation we may find ourselves in, we can proudly and confidently hold fast to this promise and be courageous and be bold and be strong in the Lord as he makes a way before us. He's equipped us with all the resources of heaven. His spirit lives within us. And what a blessing that is. Let's go and pray before we do our last worship song. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, that we also, you've called us to be strong. You've called us to be courageous. And I thank you that whatever season we find ourselves within, Lord, that you will make a way. Seasons of discouragement, seasons of difficulty, seasons where it's just flat out hard. Lord, you go before your people. You make a way for your people, and you're going before us, and you make a way for us. Jesus, we thank you for that promise. We just want to honor you with this worship. We want to bless your holy name with this worship, and we give you this time, Lord. In your mighty, precious name, amen.